Today we're going to jump, jump forward to uh, Romans chapter 13, Romans chapter 13 verses 1 to 7 and uh, it's about I guess five chapters forward. Um, it's an exciting time at the moment, we're about to go into elections next month so I thought today we want to talk about church and state or church and government. I met a, a friend who was at Bible College with us a few years ago, and he was uh, he's a, he still is an MP, and um, saw him at the airport, and I says, "How's the job going?" And he says, "And uh, he said he has never prayed so much since he's been in Parliament, and one of his jobs was as a pastor. So uh, it's really important. And the question today is." How does church and state, church and government, how do they relate to each other? I want us to, you know, look at a re- this in a really wide way. So let's pray and then we'll read our scripture. Yeah, thank you, Lord, for your word and you speak to us of all things. Your spirit longs to speak to us. There's nothing outside your realm of, uh, of authority. And so even in this, in politics, in government, you speak to, to your world because it is your world. We ask even today, Lord, you'd speak to us through your word. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. So Romans uh, chapter 13, 1 to 7. And over, over time, through history, there's basically four ways, that's three, four ways that the church and state have related to each other. <coughs> Excuse me. So, uh, number one, the state controls the church. The state, where the state, the government controls the church. Second way is the church controls the state. The church controls the state. Number three, the state favors the church. The state favors the church. And the fourth way, the church and state recognize each other's separate roles. So those four ways, state controls the church, church controls the state, the state favors the church, the church and state recognize each other's separate roles. Let's read the scripture. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, and you will be, uh, you will be commended. Sorry. Uh, for rulers hold no terror for those who do right, for, but for those who do wrong... Um, do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath, to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it's necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants 
who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honour, then honour. Amen. So as we look at this topic of church and state, we want to look at uh, with the help of three sets, three pitches. And these are three sets of railway lines. Thank you, Ken, for doing this for me. And um, because uh, there's some, some factors in the relationship of church and state, and they appear like they're opponents, but they're not. But at the same time, they're not exactly the same. So they're kind of like railway lines parallel to each other, but there is a, a distance, a tension between them. So uh, three sets of railway lines of what church and state, of how church and state relate to each other. And the first one is this. Church and state, um, first one is this. Um, the church needs to submit to the state and at the same time survive the state. The church needs to submit to the state and at the same time survive the state because the state, the government, ain't always nice to the church. In fact, for the first 300 years of his existence and in different parts of the world, even now, there is persecution by the state of the church. And in the first 300 years of the church, the Roman Empire was persecuting the church. Not all the time, not every place, but there were kind of like waves of persecution of the church. And uh, that lasted until 313. Uh, Constantine, the Roman emperor, had this um, revelation of God, had this vision. And from 313, the church was tolerated and then actually became the official religion a, a few decades later. Uh, and there were waves, but there were waves of persecution in the three, first 300 years. So what the church had to do in regard to the state was just survive the state. And this is why Jesus said, uh, sometimes you just need a skedaddle. You'll have persecution and you just need to get out of there. And Jesus said that very explicitly. He didn't say just hang around and be a hero and be a martyr. Uh, let the snot get kicked out of you by the state. No, Matthew 10, 23, he said this, when you are persecuted in one town, flee to the next. Nā ki te whakatoia koutou e tēnei pā reriatu ki tētahi. And so when persecution comes, for some people, they'll just need to move. And the thing about that, one of the things about that is that helps spread the church. That helps spread the kingdom of God. That helps spread the gospel. And one of the things that uh, Jesus said was, you will go to all the nations. You'll go to all, all places. When the Holy Spirit comes, wait until the Holy Spirit comes, and then you'll go to all nations. But the Holy Spirit came, and they stayed in the same town. They stayed in Jerusalem until the persecution of Acts chapter 8. And then they spread out, as they were told to do. 
So one thing persecution does is it makes us move and hopefully spread the gospel as we move. So one of the ways the church is to survive this state is to flee the state. But also, this is the second railway line, we are to submit to the state, obey the state, verses 1 and 2. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Repeated in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and 1 Peter chapter 2 as well. Submit to all authority, including political authority. Why? Because authority is from God. Authority is from God. When we rebel against authority, we're actually rebelling against God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. You know, you hear sometimes, you know, I love God, but I'm just a bit of a maverick, just a bit of a rebel, uh, rebel, I'm a bit of a James Dean, you know. Nah, no, nah, that's not it. You know, you're, if you're a rebel, you're batting for the wrong side. Because God has established every authority that exists. Uh, Satan was a rebel. Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28. Therefore, dear sheep, repent of all rebellion. That's not of God. That's not of God. Submitting to authorities is of God. That's the first set of railway lines. Survive the state. And serve the state. Second one, stand up for the state and stand up to the state. <laughs> stand up for the state and stand up to the state. Stand up for the state. This is similar. Verses 4 to 7. The authorities are God's servants. Verse 4, to restrain Evil. For the one in authority is God's servants for your good. If you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. You know, the same word there for servant, God's servants, is the word the Bible uses for deacons. The guy with the sword on, he's a deacon, like a deacon, like a pastor, like a worship leader. And he is God's servant. Whether you're an elder, trustee, worship leader, pastor, whatever. Or if you're a, a, a judge, an MP, a counselor, a traffic warden, in the army, uh, work for the council, civil servant. <coughs> Excuse me. They help produce, you're a deacon, you help produce good and restrain and punish evil. That's what the sword is for, to retain good and punish evil. The authorities are working for God, providing peace and prosperity. That is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, 
pay revenue, that's like customs. Then uh, if respect, then respect. If honour, then honour. And thirdly, political peace provides a platform for the work of the church. This is in First uh, Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. So stand up for the state. That's from God. The state authority is from God. Don't allow um, people who promote rebellion to promote rebellion because that is not from God. However, sometimes we also, another um, railway line, stand up to the state. This is why the option of the church controlling the state is not the best. You know, it's hard to oppose the man if the church is the man. Right? Some of the worst days of the church is when the church has been at its most powerful in a political way. And so Romans 13, it's not an unqualified tick for oppressive dictators. And over history, some oppressive dictators have tried to use Romans 13 in this way, but it's, it's no, that's a no. But in the same way, we're opposed um, criminal, th uh, violent thug or a criminal Political power that has been wrongly gained or wrongly used is to be opposed because that's not from God. It's not from God. It does not have God's blessing. And so Romans 13 is not there to give the Herod, the Nero, the Hitler, the Stalin, the Pol Pot legitim uh, legitimacy for their evil. They are responsible for their own evil. That is not uh, from God. And that is why, that's why uh, ones like pastor, theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer in the Second World War could in all conscience involve himself in an assassination attempt of Adolf Hitler because Adolf's power was not from God. His authority was not from God. Romans 13 does not give Adolf Hitler the authority to do what he did. And that is why... In the Philippines in the 1980s, the um, Roman Catholic nuns opposed the Marcos regime. They stood in front of tanks in good conscience because uh, oppressive rule is not from God. Stand up to the state. Twice in Acts 16 and 22, Paul says to the Romans, I am a Roman citizen. You need to treat me properly. I'm a citizen. I'm a citizen. Treat me properly. And sometimes us, even though we're followers of Jesus, we will need to stand up to the state and say, actually, I'm still a citizen. You will need to treat me properly. But when should we stand up to the state? Good question, Carl. At this point, we, sta at this point, we stand up to the state. If the state commands what God forbids or forbids what God commands, we are to obey God and not the state. Shall I say that again? If the state commands what God forbids or forbids what God commands, we are to obey God and not the state. If the state commands or God forbids, or forbids what God commands, we are to obey God and not the state. Three examples, biblical examples. When the Egyptian pharaoh ordered the Hebrew midwives to kill the babies, they disobeyed. 
Pharaoh because of this Exodus 1, because they feared God. Second example, Daniel chapter 6. says, uh, Daniel in the service of the Babylonian king Darius <coughs> was neither corrupt nor negligent. Didn't pinch, wasn't lazy, but he refused to bow down and worship Darius. Obeyed God, not the state. Example number three, Acts chapter 5 verse 29. The apostles were ordered by the authorities not to preach, and they responded, we must obey God, not man. But in each case, the, pers- the purpose of the action is to express obedience to God, not defiance of the authorities. It's about obeying God. It's not about being a rebel. It's about being obedient to God. So the second set of railway lines stand up for the state and stand up to the state, as each case demands. God opposes both anarchy and tyranny. Both anarchy and tyranny, both. Third set of railway lines. We are citizens of this place, and we are citizens of another place. We are citizens of this place, and citizens of another place. In fact, we have dual citizenship. We are resident aliens. We're citizens of two places, this place and another place. We are citizens of this place. This is why we pay taxes. This is why we work hard. This is why you put out your rubbish each week with the correct amount of stickers on. <laughs> this is why you enroll to vote. You are a citizen of this place. We are to be good citizens. And this might include you if it's your calling to be involved in politics, to be involved in political system, to be involved in uh, local or national politics or the council or whatever as a candidate supporter, as a good citizen. Daniel, in the heart of pagan Babylon, was neither corrupt nor negligent, wasn't pinching, wasn't lazy. We are citizens of this place. And we are to be good citizens. Want the best for it, very best for this place that we are a part of. But listen, uh, a natural human tendency is to to concentrate on just a small section of all that God desires, all that is biblically good, all that God wants, and to say, "This is what God wants." Well, that's true, but He actually wants all of this, and He does want prosperity. And he does want employment and morality and justice and equality and, and, and esteeming the family and care of the environment. He wants all of that. Listen to this, Amos chapter 2, verse 7. In just one verse, in just one verse, this is what God says, and it's God's complaint against Israel. It says this, They trample on the heads of the poor as on the dust of the ground and deny justice to the oppressed. And father and son use the same girl, and so profane my holy name. That's incest. A man will enter um, a woman and her mother. Sorry, a father and son will, will enter the same girl. Right? Incest. Terrible. And, God, and, and justice and oppress the poor. So in one verse... 
This is God's social concern and moral concern. And the thing about political parties is they tend to have niches of concerted effort and therefore limited in the total good they can achieve. Not, that's not saying political parties are evil. We just need to understand that they cannot contain all that God wants to achieve in his will. not saying don't be involved in politics, but be aware of the limitations. And we are to be citizens and good citizens of this place, but also we are citizens of another place, a better place, an eternal place. So in fact, we have dual citizenship. Again, Daniel. Daniel served his master well. He worked hard, didn't pinch, didn't extort. But each day, Daniel did this. He went up into his room three times a day and he opened up his windows towards another city, another city that where he had come from. And his heart was towards that city, Jerusalem, and he prayed to God three times every single day. was a great citizen of Babylon, served Babylon well, but he was also a citizen of another place that that he couldn't be in. Dual citizenship. Uh, Augustine of Hippo, from the 4th century, actually straddled um, 4th and 5th century. Augustine of Hippo, uh, St. Augustine, wrote a very important book that was published in 426 called The City of God. And Augustine said this, there are actually two cities. Humanity is divided into two cities. Uh, the city of God, the city of God is this. The city of God are all those who put God above all things. That's the city of God. And there are also the rest of humanity he called the city of man who put themselves above all things. city of God who put God above all things, and, but, and then the rest of the city of man who put man above all things. And the timing of this book is really, really important, 426, because Rome, city of Rome, fell in 410 to uh, uh, the Visigoths, who were a Germanic tribe. And that was the first time in close to 800 years that Rome had fallen. People, people thought that Rome was the eternal city, that Rome would always be. But in 410, Rome was sacked and burnt, and Rome was conquered. And that was, that was incredibly traumatic for the whole of the area, all of the Mediterranean. People thought Rome would always exist, but Rome was sacked. And for the pagan Romans, it was not just the city got entered into. It was that all their hopes and aspirations were tied up in the majesty of Rome. All they were as people, you know, the, they were to be brave and just and, and victorious. And it was all linked to Rome and the city and the Roman Empire. It happened again. Uh, later, 455, the Vandals entered. Um, and as Rome burned, their whole world burned. Rome was not 
eternal. No Rome is eternal. No Rome is eternal. Augustine saw Christians as having dual citizenship. We're resident aliens in this world. But our true citizenship is in the city of God and the eternal people. And it's Jeremiah wrote to the exiles in Babylon. Jeremiah chapter 29. Build your houses. Plant your gardens. Settle down. Have children. Marry off your sons and your daughters. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city. Pray for it. But this is not your final city. This is not your final town. We have another town, an eternal town, an eternal city. And the thing about Babylon, think about Rome, think about the Mongol Empire, the Chinese Empire, the British Empire, is they all eventually crumble. They all fall. But the city of God will never crumble. It's an eternal empire. Those that put God first. In Revelation, this is how the story ends. Revelation 19. This is how the story ends. There's a rider. This is a picture. There's a rider on a white horse. And he comes down from heaven. He's got a tattoo on his leg. And on his leg, tattooed are these these words. The king of kings and a Lord of Lords, the King of all kings, and the Lord of all lords. Whatever you do in the city of man, make sure you're aligned with the King of kings, and the Lord of lords. He will endure forever. Rome doesn't. Gisborne doesn't. Wellington doesn't. Any city doesn't. Any empire doesn't. But the king of all kings will endure forever. The city of God, the people of God, will endure forever. Survive the state and serve the state. Stand up for the state sometimes. um, Stand up for the state. Stand up to the state. Remember, if you're in Christ, you have dual citizenship. This place, but most importantly, the eternal city. Those who put God above all things. I want to pray for our men today. Um, can our men stand up? And, um, whoa, do we have enough women? Women are going to be anyway. <laughs> women, put your hands out. And um, most of our men, I think, are working. And bless you. Some have the, yeah. And, Lord, we want to bless these ones today as they work. And as they serve this city, uh, as they serve this city, as they serve the people, as they serve the city of men, that you would bless them, you would bless them. Thank you, Lord. Um, As the city of God, we serve the city of man. Uh, Willingly, we want the best for it. We do want the best for it. And we pray for these men today. They'd be um, great representatives of you of you. They'd work hard. They wouldn't be negligent. They'd work hard and they'd bless the people of this town and every town they're a part of. And um, But we do pray they would remember also the city of God and the rider on the white horse with that tattoo. Uh, Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Yeah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Bless you, Jesus' mighty name. Hallelujah.